You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 50 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brennan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Yeah, Brendan, I'm I'm good. I mean, I'm not stuck in a hotel room in Indianapolis, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might you might notice my voice sounds a bit different. The uh, new microphone, the uh, the luxurious uh, iPod headphones, and I'm uh, in I'm in India Indianapolis because there was a small window of bad weather during the time my flight was coming in, and my flight was the only one that got canceled, and because of that, all the other flights got filled immediately. And they couldn't get me out till Wednesday, so it's <laughs> so cr- here. It's it, crazy. It's crazy. No compensation, by the way. So, um, while won a little bit of money at the calling this weekend. Lost about three times that in hotel fees. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got a question about that later in the uh, in the pod. Actually, we have got some questions. <laughs> but honestly, the, the flying in the U.S. scares me, man. Like internally, flying domestically scares me. <laughs> Yeah, so the I've actually never had an experience like this before. I think I just got a bit unlucky. The worst I had is uh, I was in Vietnam once. I was on Thai Airlines, and my flight got quote unquote delayed, but it was a fourteen hour delay or something. And I was like, "It's not a delay. That's a reschedule." <laughs> but they they put us up in a hotel, bus us there, all of that, and it was actually not so bad. This one was kind of was like, "Yeah, you're you're out of luck." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, sweet." Um, but overall, and all, like blessing in disguise, I guess, because I got to hang out in Indianapolis. I got to play some games with Michael Hamilton, which I somehow, by somehow, some way, I literally never seen him at an event, like neither in Orlando nor at this event nor in Cincinnati up until now. Um, and I think it was because I kind of had the submarine up in day two because I was X2. And I think by the time I got to the top tables, he was just on feature the entire time. So. Uh, it was nice to get to meet him, play some games, um, and yeah, definitely silver lining there. So on today's pod, we're just going to be breaking down the calling Indianapolis, as well as fielding a ton of questions um, from our listeners via a fully flushed out command and cookout section, um, checking out the Indianapolis barbecue over here. Um, but yeah, just a lot of things flush and blood, uh, the current state of the meta, banned and restricted, where are we going, where are we headed, looking forward towards the pro tour that's coming up here in New Jersey. Anyway, Hayden, let's talk about your week in flesh and blood, sir. Well, my week's not as interesting as yours, clearly, but I, um, what have I done this week? Uh, I watched, I watched the calling. I, I tuned into the coverage for the most part, tried to watch as much of it as possible. Um, and that's kind of it. I haven't really played too much flesh and blood this week. Played a few games of blitz. My first games of blitz with Everfest. Um, tried a few different decks and probably going to go along and play some some skirmish this weekend. So, yeah, other than that, nothing. Let's. I mean, you're the one who's had the has had the big weekend in Flesh and Blood, right? Yeah, I'm interested to know your thoughts on Blitz. Maybe it's a question, but I uh, I had the the joy of playing some Blitz the other weekend. Um, I do think the format is a little a little broken right now, uh, mostly because our friend uh, our friend Visrai. But I know Matt Fox didn't end up losing to an like an aggro old him in the final at the Battle Harden. Um, and he was actually talking to me after. He said he wasn't really sure how he could have beat that deck. But 
I'm assuming if he lost aggro old him, he probably lost it around turn two because it's usually when Viscerai wins as well. So interested to kind of get his breakdown. But yeah, my week in Flesh and Blood, the calling Indianapolis, which was a fantastic experience. We'll be breaking down, so I won't go into too much detail. But it was Star City Games' first kind of huge event. They've done a, a battle hard before, but you know now doing our calling, giving coverage, um, and it was super well run, and I had a great time. Like in terms of logistics, like round logistics, we were just blazing through it, going super fast, and it was we were in and out of there. Pretty early, so it was it was nice to be able to come home. You know, usually get some dinner, get a good night's sleep, and then go into the next day. Overall, going into that tournament, um, I did I did think I was underprepared, like I felt underprepared. Um, I was pretty flustered before, like the last week going up to this, and then I think this, like I've said it a few times now, the streaming actually helped like a lot. Like it really taught me uh, that prism deck. And um, yeah, once I started playing on the day, I felt extremely prepared. I felt like it was some of the best flesh and blood I've literally ever played in my entire life. Um, so yeah, had a good experience overall. Ended up going 9-3. I lose my winning in on stream. Um, if you want to check that one out. So, but yeah, almost top aided. Ended up not making it. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I they released the new ELO rankings here, and I'm in the I'm in the top ten again now. <laughs> finally. You jumped me. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. e easy enough, easy enough, eh? You know? Uh, let's have a chat when you win something. All right. Yeah. Continues. Don't, yeah, don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, news this week. Well, like you say, calling Indianapolis, Indianapolis in the books. want to say a massive congratulations to all the top eight and yourself, and of course, everyone who day two'd. And, uh, you know, there was a of names and around that sort of like nine three bracket that that you ended up in as well as in the top nice. eight so a really stacked event uh massive congratulations of course to michael michael hamilton for winning that event not only winning that event but now back-to-back -back calling winner uh the last two callings being won by michael hamilton um big shout out to star city games i know you already sort of alluded to their first event and and sort of the efficiency of it but from the coverage side watching at home uh, i thought it was fantastic like the watchability was great I think their stream setup was fantastic. They had like a card overlay system finally that we haven't seen from other other callings yet. Um, it was, you know, like it was only for certain cards, but it was really helpful. Uh, and then we had, you know, just a, like a, a really talented casting team as well who were really engaging. And I think there were worries about like, you know, a streamed calling for this meta, but I found that all the matches were really interesting, not only from a gameplay perspective, but also just with the commentary team that were, that were running it. So I thought the production was great. Um, Want to give congrats to the Battle Hardened winners as well. You did mention before, uh, Matt Folks coming second in the Leeds Battle Hardened. Um, and then also there was a, a Battle Hardened event over the weekend at the SCG event, right, on the Sunday, uh, which was also class constructed. So four PTIs given out across those two events, either side of the Atlantic. And um, congratulations to those four players who have picked up a, another PTI or, or, or indeed maybe their first PTI. So the um the winner in indianapolis uh the battle hardened yanji i'm uh i'm not surprised that he won <laughs> i played him in dallas uh i believe and he's just a really good player quite new to the game from what i understand i talked to him on day one um you know he didn't make the cut but uh, and i was surprised right because super 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 good player, but it ultimately goes on to play the battle hard, win the entire thing. 
So big congratulations to him. I'm super happy that, you know, he was able to come out this weekend with a W. Awesome. But hey, no, definitely, definitely no shame in not day twoing your calling. Uh, we've all, you know, we've been there, and it's uh, well, maybe some people haven't, but <laughs> me and you both have been <laughs> not there. Michael Hamilton, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he's three top eights. I think the three callings he's played, he's top eighted one and one. So, you know, he's doing all right. Um, want to say as well, Alexis have announced more battle hardens coming up. So with those two in the books over the weekend, one at SCG and one in the UK. There's two more announced for April in Madrid, in Spain, and Frankfurt, which is uh, really awesome for, for obviously those two European communities as we head towards PT1 and, of course, PT2, which is going to be in Europe. So April 24th and 25th, details are up on fabtcg.com. I think, you know, if you're a real globe trotter in Europe, you can make both of those because it's Saturday and Sunday that they're split over. So if you want to take a, I don't even know how long that flight is, I would guess it's somewhere in the region of like five to six hours, maybe longer. Um, then, yeah, sure, go ahead and do it. Uh, skirmish season oh, that, four kicks off. Be intense, eh? Oh yeah, <laughs> be, I think that those are going to be really competitive. By the way, just like how we had this like escalating level of just kind of spikiness in our events in the U.S. So like, remember skirmish season was like the peak of yeah. competitiveness, and then it was like these uh the the whatever came next. I mean, I literally went from like pre-releases, skirmishes, callings, and like now callings don't even feel like so. I feel like these first. But like these few battle hardens in Europe are going to feel like, you know, they're going to feel like a, the highest level of competition that you can get. And I think they're going to be really, really fun for the people to get to be able to participate. And I mean, two PTRs in the line plus gold foil. And yeah, I mean, makes sense. And I think they will be, as you say. Skirmish season four kicking off this weekend. Uh, you know, speaking of you, like you said, Skirmish was not so long ago the the sort of pinnacle of what we had for competitive play and um you know now it's really settled into what it should be i think which is an in-store sort of step up from armory that allows people to play in their local scene for some really great prizes and, and foils cold foils um by being a you know a, a nice gateway and entryway i think into the competitive side of flesh and blood from armory and um the last season which was the uh draft aspect as well is that the draft aspect no i'm always get confused i think it was Draft and, and Blitz aspect was was great. Um, and now we're up to, to Season 4, which is really cool. So looking forward to that. Runs from this weekend, March 26th to April 17th. And they're all Blitz this time around. Invitations for Pro Tour number 1, Brendan. They're about to go up on the website. Looks like the, the cutoff date is passed now for the XP invites. And uh, the full list is going to be up there. I think by the time this goes live, they'll definitely be up. It looks like it was saying 9.30 p.m. Eastern. So uh, tonight, right, Brendan? Yeah, I should have uh, my my boomer XP invite, as they say, <laughs> lifetime lifetime XP invite, which is yeah interesting. But like I, we talked about, kind of early when that system came out, um, you know, <laughs> I'm the exact type of player that benefited from it. I guess that kind of didn't really deserve two sided. A lot of XP banked up, didn't really do too well in ProQuest, but ultimately, I think I squeaked it like 80th probably 80th right, or yep. close to 90th on that thing and i was able to get an invite which is um you know happy about that i guess save some ptis yeah yeah i think um i ended up winning a pro quest so i had my invite that way but i think i would have been in the xp system somewhere i didn't didn't actually look but i know you know like you say the, the boomer xp been playing a while played a lot of events around especially last year so mm -hmm. yeah take a look and if you were sort of grinding that xp best of luck to you i hope you managed to, to sneak in and get the the invite you're after and see you in new jersey there but i do want to give a shout out to all the 
patrons of Arsenal Pass, almost 600 now, which is incredible. We shout you out every single week because your contribution is, is that important. It helps us do what we do, um, and we can, you know, there's no words to explain how grateful we are. If you're interested in the Arsenal Pass Patreon, there is tons of extra content, including extra podcasts, deck texts, deck guides, as well as some spicy content here and there. Hayden and I will likely be breaking down, doing a commentary, kind of like an analytical commentary, and breaking down one of the key games from this weekend. Um, and yeah, we did that for the Hong Kong, I think it was Hong Kong Nationals. Before. Yeah, the regional finals, uh, Hong Kong. Yep, yep, it was. Mm-hmm. Yep, so I'll do one from the Kong Indianapolis here. Uh, probably soon. Definitely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There was a ton of really good games, so we've got a lot to choose from. Could even feature one Mr. Brendan Patrick, potentially, or or maybe we'll pick one of the the top eight matches. But either way, there was some some fantastic matches across the weekend. Um, very rarely was there games on stream that I was kind of disinterested in, to be honest. Like, I thought the majority of the games... We're going to talk about it soon, but I just thought the skill level was much improved as well. Uh, even, yeah, day one, day two as well. So it was great to see. Sweet. All right, Hayden. Well, speaking of Indianapolis, you know there's something we got to do every time we're in a new state. We got to check out that barbecue. So nothing better than the Command and Cookout section. It's going to be a comprehensive one this week, but it's kind of my favorite podcast when we get these open-ended questions and get to sort of just give our thoughts. But take us in, Hayden. Yeah, well, I do just want to call out, if you do want to get your questions in for the Command and Cookout, you can definitely do so. Email arsenalpassfab at gmail.com tweeted us drop in the youtube comments below if you're on this youtube video or jump over to youtube and do so you know direct message us in the postcard whatever you want to do brendan actually interestingly i think we should because we've got a few questions from uh our actually our patrons i solicited some some questions from our patrons actually in our discord last minute and there's been some fantastic questions and there's a good number of questions but just looking over the questions I think it might be best if we sort of get your recap on Indianapolis first and then dive into some questions because there's a lot of questions that follow on from Indianapolis this weekend in terms of meta, what we saw there, what happened to Indianapolis. Um, and I, I also have some questions as well. So let's start with that and then then I reckon we fire up the grill. For sure. I'll keep it brief because I'm sure the questions will have us going deep on some subjects. I actually did forget one thing on the news section. Um <laughs> Which is just an update on my end, mostly regarding kind of some of the stuff that I've been dealing with these past few months. Um, so I had a few people actually reach out to me, come up to me, uh, just to talk about that. So I wanted to be a little bit more clear on sort of what has been going on. So I actually just had I had mono <laughs> uh, for the, these kind of this past month or a month or so ago. So that's really what made. That's really the main reason I was kind of not feeling so well. Um, was and I felt like it really affected my ability to perform. Um, but yeah, I usually keep that stuff a little bit private. But I think it was showing through <laughs> a little more than I expected. So just wanted to clear it up and you know point out that it was, you know, just related to health. Um, and I am I am actually getting uh, better and obviously was able to kind of actually <laughs> finally play the game and uh, feel good about playing the game this weekend. So that's awesome. But wanted to update everybody, uh, everybody, everybody's listening, as well as you know, say thank you to the people that reached out to me and um, you know, with concern. Definitely. We're glad you're feeling better. And um, now that you're, you are starting to feel better, n- uh, no excuse, right? <laughs> no excuses, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. No excuse. As soon as there's no excuse, I just all I do is uh, I come, come usurp you on the leaderboard. So you better, you better be hoping that. You know, maybe another maybe another illness comes around. Anyway, uh, let's talk about. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let's, anyway, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the calling Indianapolis. So, 
yeah, let's let's do it. I wanted to to start by just getting your kind of rundown of the event. Like, tell us about tell us about your weekend. This is SCG's first time doing a calling. I'd love to hear about how it differed to you know maybe the Channel Fireball ones you've been to, or to I guess any of the the events you've been to so far um, for Flesh and Blood, and just kind of like what the atmosphere was like, what the player base was like. Yeah, just just tell us everything about the the, the weekend and, and your experience there. For sure. So um, yeah. Outside of outside of kind of anything related with SEG, um, Indianapolis was a great city to sort of have this event. I had never been to Indiana, Indiana or Indianapolis, but um, some of the people that I was traveling with did, um, specifically you know Zach Bunn and that crew because they come for Gen Con a lot. So <laughs> hook us up with the perfect parking and all that stuff, which helps which helps a lot. But ultimately, a great place to have an event. It, it was awesome. In regards to SEG, so SEG versus Channel Fireball. Um, not in sort of a competitive way, but it's our best reference to break it down. The biggest difference for SEG, um, sort of kind of negative difference, was information. So I felt like a lot of like a lot of sort of the prep information that you would get for an event, I was kind of lacking. Right? It may have been on the website, and I read it, I read it a long time ago, but I remember I tried to read the night before, and it was still kind of unsure, specifically regarding this. Like, okay, are we submitting decklets online? Are we bringing paper decklets? Um, and there were some other points as well. I know that you, there was neat, you had to have a, you had to submit a vaccine, a proof of vaccination or have a negative COVID test within 72 hours, which I think i I definitely missed that. And so did everybody else that was in my group somehow. So I actually got super lucky that somebody told me, like, I mean, Ian mentioned it the night before and I was like, Oh my God, I had no idea. So I was able to upload my, my thing and get approved before the night. But <laughs> for some reason, that information just like didn't make it to me. Um, so I'm happy I got it before because if the, on the day of, it would have been, been rough to you know, be scrambling. And it was, it was actually reviewed by like a third party. So I think I probably would have not been able to play the event. Um, so I did la- it was a little bit lacking on the information end. But again, that could be user error. Um, the only reason I mentioned it is because it did happen to like the four people that I was with as well. Um, and then, of course, the deck list and everything like that. Going into the actual tournament, it was pretty much impeccable. Like, the judging staff was really solid. Feature match was actually different than um, Channel Fireball. So, Ellis <laughs> Legend Story Studios had provided these, like, really nice, like, coverage so tables. Yeah, so you saw that, right? Yeah. Um, I know Tarek, Tarek mentioned he had a concern regarding because it isn't a playmat you know sort of surface about potentially like you know sleeves getting scratched and stuff like that i don't think any of that occurred but it it is a consideration on a surface like that i'm not sure if they were like kind of you know air blowing it down or whatever at the end to get rid of you know um things like skin or dirt or whatever you will anything that could kind of get on there which happens when people like play with cards cards. but ultimately um, you know, I was on there ra- both round one and round twelve, and it was impeccable both times, and it was really awesome. So they also had the indicators, right? So you had many different sorts of dice to simulate, uh, you know, counters, um, the damage on a card, all stuff to make coverage a bit better, as well as the laminated go again and dominate. So hopefully that did help people out at home. Yeah, I, I'm um, passionate about that actually, just while we're talking about it for coverage i thought that was phenomenal like it was really easy to follow it meant that the mostly actually what it meant is that the casters had a really informed 
uh, knowledge of what was happening on the table, right? So they weren't guessing like, mm-hmm. oh, is this E-Strike with Go again? Is it draw a card? Is it plus two? Like it was really clear what it was, right? But I wanted to know from a player's perspective, like was that distracting? Was that something that was hard to manage or was it fine? Like was there someone at the table reminding people to do that? Like what did that kind of look like? Yeah, so it wasn't hard to manage because I do think that ultimately it was optional. Um, right. Nobody asked me to do it. Nobody reminded me to do it or anything like that. So I do think that it was optional as the player. Um, we just saw a lot of people participating in that process. Um, the life totals were actually not done by somebody on the floor. There was like this little iPad that was sitting next to the players, and you would sort of click it down yourself. So I think you saw I, I watched back coverage a little bit. You saw it on coverage where you know people would write it on their paper so they still have like the audit log mm-hmm. but then they would kind of like forget yeah, <laughs> forget yeah. to tap the ipad a few times. Uh, and in regards to like uh from a player's perspective this is actually really important um so in yeah in this event i didn't there's not a, there wasn't really like a judge there like there is if you played in a feature at channel fireball because in Channel Fireball, I would say you probably have about 15 seconds to think about your turn before you get a warning. <laughs> Not like a legit warning, but you get like a soft warning to you get decrease the speed of play. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen um, at, at this event, which is, it doesn't sound huge if you haven't been on coverage, but it, it is a big deal. Like, I think that going into Channel Fireball events, like that process and what happens when you're on coverage and how quickly you're... Um, sort of encouraged to make a play regardless of the game state or how much time is left in the round definitely influences like what deck I might play for the event. So it was kind of interesting to see the opposite of that where, you know, you could think a little bit longer on your more impactful turns and it was a bit laissez-faire in terms of, you know, someone right over the table. Of course, it has its downsides as well, right? Like we saw a few game, we saw quite, I think we saw quite a few game state errors, mostly really small ones happen throughout. Um, but that is just kind of a normal in flesh and blood at this point because there's so many things going on that you know occasionally one little thing will get missed, which is uh, which is a bummer. But that's that's really just growing pains of the game. Let's go ahead and talk about um, yeah playing the event. So the event started yeah. like I said, rounds were super fast. The I tweeted about this as well. The overwhelming kind of feedback from the calling is that the the level of player skill has increased dramatically, right? Me personally, I was really surprised because I had no easy rounds, like absolutely brutal opponents every time, which I'm extremely grateful for. That's exactly what I want out of an event. But usually in, a, in an event like the calling, I'll get a couple of free rounds, right? A couple of rounds that are easier. And I mostly win off the backs of my opponents kind of not playing to the highest level of efficiency or playing correct in this, in this tournament. Absolutely not. I just had really solid op- opponents throughout. Um, and actually got to play a lot of really like really good and kind of accomplished players, um, even on the leaderboard, which was awesome. Um, finally got to play against like Namvo for my winning in on day two, as well as Josh Lau. Um, actually, in round two, he beat me with Bolton, um, another one of the card guys, and then plenty other names throughout. So that was really cool. Um, and yeah, it was a for me personally playing Prism. I was uh, I picked Prism, you know, Starville obviously the deck to beat, and I think almost categorically the best deck. Um, we saw Michael Hamilton kind of beat a lot of Prisms, and we also saw D Rude beat a lot of Prisms as well. So I think the the it wasn't really the meta adapt to Starvo, it was more Starvo adapt to the meta, right? So I think that Starvo was able to shore up its Prism matchup and be quite strong into into that matchup if they were correctly prepared. That being said. 
throughout Swiss, there was nothing more that I wanted to see other than Starville. Like that was the deck I wanted to see. That was why I was playing Prism. And ultimately, I was able to go 6-0 against that that deck traditionally until I got to my winning in and I lost to D-Root. Um, but the, the issue with playing Prism is I feel like I was sort of gem formatting and gambling my way to not hit the chains in the Viscerize, right? Viscerize, okay. You know, like I'm okay with hitting the Viscerize. Like I feel like I can win that matchup. But really trying to not hit like the chains, like these fringe, yeah, the Briars or the fringe deck, even like the Bolton, like the Bolton Raiden is not great. It's not great for for Prism. Um, So I got a bit lucky. I played other than Oldham, or sorry, other than Starvo, I played one Lexi. I played uh, one Bolton, like I said, I lost to, and then one Viscerai. And then other than that, I had one Mirror kind of late in day two, and everything else was star of the show, which is. Pretty much kind of like the ideal, like if I had to draw it up, I'd draw it up. I dropped the perfect tournament pretty close to that. I would have liked a few, uh, a few more mirrors because I felt like I was tech for the mirror and also very well prepared for it. But alas, I got to play a lot of Starvos instead, which I can't complain about. Um, I had a really good, interesting game. I had a few just like super interesting games. Um, both one of them was against Lexi where I got three of a kind did turn one, turn two, and then actually turn four. I ended up being on like 15 health while they were almost on 40 effectively and then like i grinded them out over the next like five to six turns landed three mercifuls and an ode to wrath and i think they ended up taking like 30 damage and from arcane um ultimately and then i had one against starvo where it was 35 to 11 and he triple aura cleared me with a bunch of lightning surges a blink and a time skippers and so 35 to 11 no auras. So I had to try to come back from that one, which is brutal. And then, like I said, a highlight going into round um, round seven, where I got to play Nanvo, calling champion for my winning in um, to get into day two, which was which was really awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Just chose to play Prism. Um, obviously, you're pretty vocal about that in the weeks leading up. Um, people are going to ask, you know, what what was what was the mirror tick? Like, why were you sort of? I know you played a lot of mirrors on stream. Um, so you, you felt prepared and then you had you had some decisions. What were kind of the, outside of the mirror as well, what were the kind of decisions you made to the list that were maybe out of the norm, I guess? I know you, I think, didn't play Sync Blows, for instance, and you had some other cards yeah, in the list. For sure, no Sync Blows, just the Command and Conquer. So I like Command and Conquer much more than Sync Blow against Viscerai, um, but Sync Blow is pretty relevant against something like Chain or maybe even Briar. Um, and I know some people play it against Star Wars, which I think is crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just really like the Command and Conquerors more into Viscerai. I like to be disruptive, um, and I think it's way more impactful than something like Sync Blow, especially since we see a lot of um, less breakpoint on hit cards, right? Like not a lot of meet and greets, not a lot of you know things that I have more to block runs. for. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of damage at this point. So I feel okay not you know not having the Sync Blows there. Um, for the mirror, so I don't think the prism mirror is necessarily very skill intensive, but I think it's it's extremely fragile, right? Like as soon as one player messes up, they pretty much lose the game on the spot. Um, and I think almost every prism mirror that is played, the prisms don't play perfectly because it's really technical at the end of the day. And like I said, once you mess up, differentially, so it's not about being having a higher skill per se like from the traditional sense than your opponent but it's being able to play as tight as possible and recognize your role in that matchup um at every point and then of course i had the red lead the charges which i think in the prism mirror 
is kind of like a cheat code because if you're double clearing a prism, your, your opponent's prism auras on a turn, or you're just landing two blue auras, like the tempo advantage there is kind of disgusting. Yeah. Um, so I think you like have this sort of inevitability to just have a very swingy turn, which is really hard for, for I think the opposing prison players to come back from like any just massive swing of tempo or, or board presence. Yeah. It's like a crown of um, reflection, but on a card and, you know, in certain turns more versatile, um, you can use heralds and things like that as well to generate the extraction point. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember like I played that card in my last week of ProQuest because Damakai was telling me how, how you know how strong it was, and we played a couple of games, and he showed me pretty quickly and convinced me pretty quickly that I should uh, have that in my list for the, for the mirror. So <laughs> he's one hundred percent right. It's very good. He hit the um, nail. Yeah, hit the nail right on the head. Like it's, I saw some interesting prison builds and like some interesting takes for like bad matchups, like specifically Dalen Mac. Like he plays Halo and Vestige into like his bad matchups just so he can because he knows it's already going to be so rough that he goes for like you high know, ceiling. The, the kind of the high ceiling, right? Because like, let's say if you land one tome and God forbid you land two tomes on, a, on an opposing prison player, it puts them in a really rough spot like immediately. And the crown of reflection is so, so, so good um, that I wonder if like maybe you just play like vestige and crown actually and you go off of a, either a soul shield or a herald hitting, which is really common in the mirror. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, if there's any sort of swinging board state where you generate some sort of advantage that is not expected off like a normal four card hand and like what that deck is supposed to be able to do whether it's through lead the charge or through something like a tone vestige um yeah it's very very hard for your opponents to come back and yeah okay and so what about the I had a couple of questions what was your favorite part of the weekend and just as we kind of uh, my favorite this. yeah my favorite part of the weekend was um like i said i, I came into the event feeling underprepared i had a quite an unsuccessful pro, pro pro quest season and it's an interesting place to be and i think this will happen many times many more times throughout like my career and probably the career of like any other you know player that takes this seriously is like you're gonna go from um, sort of running hot like winning a lot and sort of being on the top of your game to maybe having like a, a cold streak or losing or maybe you know like like i lost a lot of my pro like those two pro quests i played because um, I wasn't playing very effectively. And like, you have to go through this cycle of like questioning yourself, like, okay, am I just like not good enough anymore? Like, am I washed up? Is the game, are people just, they've just gotten too good to where I just can't compete anymore. And it's like this ridiculous conversation you have to have with yourself. Um, and ultimately you kind of have to like push through that and then get another result, like another good result to feel like, okay, yeah, I mean, that was just, you know, that was whatever it was, right? but I'm still the player that I, that I know I am and you know, I still practice and at least I can still kind of convert. So being able to come into this event and perform and do well was really important. And regardless of my numerical results, right? As soon as I played round one and even throughout like day one, I knew I was playing at the top of my game. Like I felt like I was playing very good flesh and blood, some of the best flesh and blood I've ever played. Um, and that like, to me, that was super important. Like I felt like, I needed that, and I, I got it this weekend. Good to hear. Good to hear. I want to wrap up the, I guess, I'll leave you to add anything you want to for the Calling Indianapolis and anything you want to add, but I just have my own Calling Indianapolis story, actually, because uh, on, on Saturday, it was a, a good friend of mine's birthday uh, here locally, one of our local players, Lorenzo, and uh, we were heading to his birthday, 
and we we saw the mats, the play mats get posted of what was that the calling? You know, you know what I'm talking about, like the the shock charmers play mm-hmm. mat, the yep. the revel and rune blood, the you know these awesome new play mats, and um, we we were like we got to we got to get him one of these. Uh, actually, you know, um, Nick Butcher, people will probably know locally here, was like we we got to get him one of these. Uh, so we were like scrambling around. I was like posting on Twitter trying to find people who had like tickets, trying to remotely like get someone to to buy these tickets so then I could then get this mat for him so we could ship it <laughs> over to Australia halfway around the world for his for his birthday. And I was trying to confirm it before we went to the, the party. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Ryan, Ryan Shope, who's one of our patrons who helped me organize it all. Uh, he had some tickets to sell me and then he ended up uh, going and actually purchasing the mat for me. From the uh, the prize wall and organizing to give that to someone to get back to the side of the world. So thank you, Ryan. And uh, yeah, got got the map for him, which is awesome. Got the Revel and Runeblood map for him. <laughs> those uh those those exclusive mats they went fast, by the way. Yeah, what I understand. Yeah, yeah, we had to get in quick. Yeah. I was scrambling. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Brendan, I want to um, give you the opportunity to say anything else about Indianapolis before we move on to. Talking about what's next in Flesh and Blood as we head into Pro Tour New Jersey and addressing some questions from the community. Yeah, for sure. So in closing, overall great event. Like I said, the biggest feedback that I can give any, or like the biggest takeaway that I can give anybody listening to this that's looking forward to the Pro Tour is a lot of the players there and a lot of players that echo the sentiment and even myself have played other callings before, specifically played in Nationals, played in Orlando. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, like, the level of play here um, at this event was just incredible, right? Like the quality of my opponents was something I didn't expect to see for honestly, like years in flesh and blood. Um, that could have been my pairings, right? Like I could have, you know, I could have just kind of gotten that bracket. But if you look on Twitter and you talk to a lot of the people that participate in this tournament, this tournament, it's just overwhelmingly uh, like consistent that that feedback, right? So I think that it's really interesting going into the pro tour here. Um, and just to see how North America will perform in that tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see the the world come together. Europeans, uh, Asia Pacific, North America. You know, from around the current regions we have, and to see, you know, not not only who wins the event because I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into winning an event, and that's one single person, right? But just who kind of represents like. How many players from different geographies do we have in the top eight? What about in the top 16? What about in the top 32? Like it's a lot of rounds over two days. And I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, and I think what's more interesting than that is the cumulative effect. When we get to PT2, do we see a shift again? Like what is it going to look like? So yeah, excited to dive in and talk about that. And um, yeah, like you say, player base getting stronger. Imagine like it's so strong, right? I think there's 500 players there. And a lot of, like you say, good players, play, play skills increasing. But imagine predicting the winner. That's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, it makes me wonder what would have happened if you had called my name out. Because you just got that magic touch, you know? I would have been wrong, wouldn't I? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Whoever you call out just to win, right? That's how it right, works. Determinism. All right. <laughs> All right, Brendan. We've got some questions as we start to look forward, as I say, to pass Indianapolis to the next thing on the radar, which is... Well, apart from the Battle Hardens, we've got some Battle Hardens coming up. I know you'll be in Dallas playing that one, I assume, actually. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I assume. As long as you can get back, you might be stuck in Indianapolis for years. Who knows? <laughs> you, might be, you might be driving straight from Indianapolis to uh, New Jersey at this rate. But questions. So as I said, I did reach out, asked for some questions, and I have some here. 
Uh, I'm just bringing them up now and I want to talk through some of these. I'm just going to go over through and I think there's enough questions. There's not too many that I think we can go through all of them and some of them we might have already talked about. Um, some of them you might have addressed in your Twitter spaces, which you did the other day. But I do just kind of want to, to go through some of these and and um, and talk about them. So first question we had was from Zombie who says, um, Starbo has 814 living legend points after Indianapolis. Regardless of thoughts on strength of the, the hero and balance, the spread is pretty unprecedented. What do you think of the living legend system in general and should it be adjusted going forward? That's the that's the first question. They've got a couple other questions. Let's go for this question first. I'm going to start, Brendan. I think the the first thing that pops into my head after I saw the update on points is we've got to remember there's a lot more events than we had in Road to National season. The ProQuest was, what, 300 plus events? Um, so it's a real interesting system that we're looking at right now. And I, I said this when we talked about living legend back when we talked about the bans for Raya and the Arata that I think at some point they're going to have to look at some sort of sliding scale with Living Legend um, because let's say we get to next ProQuest season, are we just going to immediately see a hero potentially, you know, or like we could get to the point where we see three or four heroes sitting on this cusp of being at Living Legend and all tick over in a season because of the amount of points that are up for grabs based on the system that we currently have. So yeah, to me, it's really interesting about the Living Legend system. I've always said that, I think you said this last time actually, I think you had these words exactly that, this doesn't feel like the final form of living legend um, and its system. It feels like there's still some more adaptation to go through. Yeah, it was funny um, kind of before the season even started, like thinking about Bravo actually uh, potentially living legend himself, like before the calling even, or getting like, you know, having living legend already by this point, which was statistically possible, didn't get there. But like you said, there's a lot more events. So that that is sort of, it's not super fair to just look at how fast uh, Bravo, uh, Bravo Star of the Show has accumulated the points. Nevertheless, um, you know, the consistency is there. The gameplay pat, like we talked about this a lot on Twitter Spaces, right? Which I do want to dive into at least to an extent. Like there's been a lot of top decks in Flesh and Blood. There's a danger of us just kind of like banning top decks like this. Mm. Uh, it creates an unhealthy relationship where the community can sort of complain about whatever deck is good and then, you know, uh, Big Brother LSS comes in and bans something. Um, Star of the Show, while it's not necessarily like much more dominant than I think like Chain was or Briar, I mean, oh, it is more than Briar, but it does have a gameplay pattern that is worse, <clears throat> in my opinion, because it's there's not a lot of interaction and it feels like your opponent kind of beats you a lot of times during deck building and not during the game. Obviously, there's so much nuance to that deck, and it is a very skill-intensive deck. Yeah, but the hero, the hero ability itself, in my opinion, is terrible game design. Right? Like it is not interactive. It is not you know the this idea. Like I think what it was printed for is like okay, we pitch this summer, we get this sort of you know intermittently throughout the game. We pitch for the second cycle, and we can set these great hands, which like you actually saw Michael Hamilton do to expert effect in the final, right? Mm -hmm. But Pretty much 99% of the people listening to this that have sat across from the start of the show know that that's usually not how it goes, right? Um, it's a bit more consistent than we expected, and usually you're just kind of getting you know, off the first cycle of the deck and off the draw, you're getting star road, and especially in, in the context of these pulses, which are really annoying, um, that hero ability can happen a lot, and it feels like it just is totally uninteractive. You have this dominate mechanic plus something that's like stripping your hand, um, it's just not a fun gameplay loop for the opponent, and it's also not fun for the pilot a lot of the times either. So I think that's where a lot of the outcry comes from. Is it's it's very atypical, right? From these decks that have been very strong in the past, which have sort of been beat down aggro decks, and yes, they have been very very powerful. But there was this uh, this sort of 
illusion that you could you could interact with them, right? You could block, you could decide to take damage, try to clap back. You know, they weren't just they weren't taking away your ability to go again and stripping your entire hand and hitting you for a million that you can't block because sure, that has dominate. Sure. Yeah, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm gonna bring you back to the question. <laughs> Put you down <laughs> off your uh, off I, your off I, your <laughs> living legend. I understand the Bravo conversation is ongoing, right? And I, there's some specific questions that I want to talk about. I think at this point we've kind of talked about Bravo ad nauseum across a lot of different uh, forums. And um, I want to come back to this question, living legend and how it's I got working. You. I, Zachary I got adds you, yeah. this and says, you know, is living legend working as intended? Um, is it working as intended? Um, What's the that's an interesting question. <laughs> What's the intent? Well, yeah, that's a different question, right? What's the intent? So LSS actually made it clear there was an, there was an, inter, uh, an interview between Flake and James uh, White, where he goes over this a little bit more on the Instant Speed podcast. The Living Legend, um, contrary to some people's belief, even my belief, which I get a lot of flack for in Tales of Aria, it's not meant to actually uh, keep the format balanced, right? It's not yeah, a balancing it's... mechanic, yeah. It's a way to rotate the heroes out and keep the format fresh um, in an eternal format. So if something is fundamentally unbalanced, um, Living Legend is not the system that's supposed to take care of that. What about the scaling? That's the sort of part of Zombie's question, and also Zach actually touches on that as well in, in his question. Um, what about the scale? With, you know, we're seeing <laughs> with the change from Road to Nationals to, to the PQ season, a lot more events, just you know, how quickly. I mean, Zombie says it's unprecedented, but actually you know, the, the, the win share percentage is... Is, I think it's more than chain, but it's not that much more, right? Like but the points yeah, is not because crazy. So, um, yeah, I think I might have a little bit too much insight to this uh, because I kind of had a conversation with somebody who is on that side of the system, but it is actually too fast right now. Um, I don't think the math works out, okay. right? It was just because when the math was developed, we didn't have these events, right? And like there wasn't this many pro quests and sort of like this, this system that has these sort of uh, static numbers, right, for these kind of events, but the number of events and amount, like, of play that's going on in the world is not static, right? It's very dynamic, and it's actually growing, right? So the current system just doesn't scale, like, whatsoever, just from a fundamental basis. It, it doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, unless it was, like, heavily undertuned in the beginning, and there's no way we're going to reach the legend because it was built for a system that had, you know, millions of players or something like that. It's obviously not... Um, the speed is too fast, and I think that there, we will see another change actually quite soon. I think we will too. I, yeah, I think we we alluded to this earlier, and and the one the the way I see potentially this working is you have a season, a progress season, and you have an allotment of points for that season. So rather than per win, you have an allotment of points, and then at the end of the season, you uh, basically by placings by the spread, you break up those points and you award those. It gives you a set number of points, not based on events. It's just a set number of points for the season. And you can better control that pace by understanding, okay, well, if we envision that if the a hero is completely dominating, this is X amount of seasons it, it would take to reach Living Legend. Um, and, and not because it's a fix, just because, you know, that's becoming a Living Legend or this is the pace you want to go at. But when you have, like you say, static numbers and you attribute numbers based on uh, a multiple of events, I think that's really tough. So essentially a pool of points that is set and given uh, based on you know percentage of showing. You know, say, say Bravo won forty percent, well it gets forty percent of the points or whatever it is. I think that would be a cool improvement they could make in order to 
Just better control it. Another mm-hmm. question that Zombie asked as well. Uh, I just want to finish off on this pit. Um, I don't want to spend too long on this because I just feel like there's so many things up in the air right now. And I feel like this is a question that is, is getting asked a lot and there's a lot of opinions out there. So I think it's important that we touch on it. But I personally, Brennan, don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I'll, I'll let you talk more about it if you like. Do you expect any changes with the April 5th ban and restricted announcement? The re- the, I just want to say the reason for me not wanting to say much about this is I honestly don't know. I've gone back and forth thinking that I would like to see changes to, to Bravo itself. I would like to see cards being banned specifically for star of the show i'd like to see nothing i think i'm far away from that now at this point i think we're going to see something happen i just don't know what it is and i think my brain is hurting from speculating but i'll throw it over to you yeah for sure i think it's just important to quickly say what we don't want to see or at least what i don't want to see right um i actually don't want to see like a card if possible i don't want to see a card banning and i don't want to see like a restricted list which adds a lot more nuance and complexity for newer players um and i definitely don't want to see an errata so those things I don't want to see just because um, like they further impact like the sort of barrier to entry for casual players. They add more cards onto this ban list. It's, the game feels more clunky to somebody kind of entering. And I think that all of the issues with the current hero actually exist on the hero's, uh, the hero's text, right? And I think anything other than that is just not actually addressing the problem. And I believe that we should just kind of rip off the Band-Aid because I do think it's a fundamental failure of design, right? Like it's very atypical, very asymmetric design. And that is what has sort of broken the game and led to this, uh, what a lot of people consider to be like a miserable gameplay loop. So I'm in, I, I don't want those things to happen. What do I want to happen, right? I'm very strongly in favor of either doing nothing, and I'm totally okay with that, doing absolutely nothing, or potentially giving Bravo Star of the Show an early living legend before the Pro Tour, only because it's the Pro Tour, right? And it, would, it theoretically would make the, the format more interesting, right? And I promise you that it won't make the meta more healthy, right? You're not going to see a better pie. So all those people, anybody who's out there complaining about <clears throat> representation pie or anything like this, that's not going to change. That's not going to fix. In four, de- like three to four decks being decently represented, it is a healthy meta in my opinion, um, or you know, close to healthy. Like it's the right path there. So I don't think it'll make the meta more healthy. What it will do is it'll make the gameplay more fun, more interactive, and we won't have this. So the thing is, like Bravo Star of the Show just massively constrict constricts the meta. There's so few decks that can actually deal with that deck that it feels like you have no choice as a player and that you're either picking a deck that is star of the show or is theoretically favorable to it, like Prism, or you're playing another deck and you're trying to sort of gem format your way past it and dodge it or just, you know, run your 50-50s into it and then, you know, so on and so forth. So I think if we take out star of the show, it does open up the meta, right? Where a lot more decks can be played. That doesn't mean there's not going to be a best deck. There's not going to be a best aggro deck, but like there are other decks that can compete because there's a lot of decks that play against Star of the Show right now, and they just they literally cannot function. It's miserable. It's a terrible experience. Like you cannot play that deck. You just you can't play them. Um, and I think Star of the Show coming out does massively open the meta. And like a lot of people complain about Prism being constricting. Prism is deleted if Star of the Show is gone. I promise because all those Rune Blades come out of the woodwork, and the current Prism list suck against Rune Blade. So I, I think we see it. Yeah, the current prism list, exactly. I think we see a massively different meta, uh, or just you know, quite different meta if we switch off Star of the Show. But I just want to reiterate that I just don't want like the errata single card ban or the introduction of restricted list for the Pro Tour. 
Um, I would be, I'm only in favor of no changes or an early living legend because at this rate, it looks very clear that Star of the Show is going to be living legend um, probably after the Pro Tour or soon after. So, in the essence of making it more fun and more competitive, maybe we early living legend him, but there's great arguments not to do that as well. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my thoughts. Let him, let him go with dignity. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot, lots of bit. I think one thing for me is, uh, here's a question and it, it's not to, to answer, to be honest, this is just something I want to throw out to, to everyone out there to, to ruminate on and to, to think about does Bravo start the show either through living legend, through errata, through straight up ban, does it actually make for a healthier format? Uh, I'm not convinced it does, to be honest. I'm not sure that that, and not not saying that I don't think it would. I'm just not convinced either way. And I'm a little bit worried that we get into the cycle of removing X deck and it not actually improving the format, not making the format healthier, not making the format more enjoyable. Um, and that's something that concerns me a lot. Uh, it's a toxic relationship, right, with Legend Store Studios. Like we will see it every format. It's it's one of the situations where you hear it's like you think you want that, but you don't. And to an extent, like that is true, right? Like if we do have this pattern of every time a new meta comes out and, you know, players are used to sort of get, you know, raising their pitchforks and getting their way and banning the best deck, it's going to like, why, why innovate then, right? Because you can just complain and then, you know, get the best deck banned and then things change, right? So it's not a good, a good uh, dynamic to have. Um, my only pushback is that it's just like on the definition of what a healthy meta is. And mine isn't a higher, a bigger representation of the pie. It's just more interactive games and the lack of that, that hero ability existing. I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the challenge we have right now is we have, you know, certain heroes with larger card pools as well. So it's going to be very difficult for certain heroes to, to my, in my eyes, honestly, just through sheer the way the game has developed so far and just where we are in the life cycle for certain decks to be competitive. They just don't. And I get that Everfest in theory, could help and could have helped uh, for some of those heroes and classes. But, you know, there's other there's other sets out there, for like Runeblade, for instance, you know, like I've had these card pools come through. Um, so, you know, there's cards from Crucible, but certain heroes don't have those, you know. So it's, re it's really interesting to me, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, the strength of certain certain heroes in, in the metagame. And, yeah, just to me, it's like, is it is this format bad? And a change would make it healthy and fun and enjoyable or actually would it just make it a different kind of format and there still be maybe potential some issues and you know what are the issues now so bad that it's not not enjoyable it's not fun and i get what you're saying about the play experience i wasn't there in indianapolis i've been having fun playing class constructed i've i really enjoyed watching indianapolis but i agree from one of my favorite aspects of playing flesh and blood which is designing decks and and testing strategies and things like that I feel like I'm banging my head against the brick wall a little bit, which is not fun. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. For me, for me, it's like not. It's not even that, right? Like, so just to give you a, like, yeah, a lot of players came up to me and talked to me in Indianapolis, and um, I, I've been through Agony a lot on. of the other meta. Yeah, I've been through a lot of the other metas. Um, you know, like the chain meta, the Briar meta, and you know, people complain. Like people complain, like, oh, this deck is so good, but I've never heard like the level of like depression and misery that i heard with star of the show like people legitimately don't like zero um and it's not because of the dominance right like the do dominance is one thing but this uh this hero ability being perceived as sort of winning the game outside of the game right and then also being kind of bs like that's how a lot of people see it they they don't like it um 
and then people being you know forced if you like they have to play that deck which you know i guess happens with any best deck that's what's making people unhappy and i'm it's just the the feedback is overwhelmingly negative and it's negative to like a sort of fatalistic extent which i have not seen with a chain or a briar or even you know um it was a much smaller meta back then but this that mid-range dash back in crucible which i think was Sorry, very beatable. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was annoying, right? That deck was crazy annoying, but yeah, it didn't you know, suck. It was good. It was good, but it was definitely beatable and had ever used to attack. All right, I want to move on. I don't want to, you know, just um, it's something happier. <laughs> um, zombie had a few questions, and I want to wrap it up here from this uh, this question in particular. Indianapolis was my first rated event, and did well enough to pick up some significant elo. Congratulations, good stuff. Uh, what would you like to see them do with the ELO system going forward? And do you think it should be expanded to tier one events, Road to Nationals, ProQuest? Um, well, from me, I mean, I would like to see them use it. Would be good. Be good. <laughs> Look, I, I think I understand the XP being used for invitations for Pro Tour number one. I hope that we get an announcement soon for Pro Tour number two that's going to say that ELO is in play. Uh, whether that's where you see a cross section, some XP, some ELO, as we start to transition to enough events where ELO becomes relevant. I think we're getting there though we're seeing a leaderboard that's moving and shifting as we go through these events we're going to have uh we've got calling in taiwan we've got um the calling at new jersey plus the pro tour in new jersey probably another calling maybe even before a cutoff period for pro tour number two so um you know i would like to see this happen i would like to see it be used for basically what i think an elo system should be used for your premier events right so for or for pro tours for nationals and um for eventually worlds so for some number of invites wherever that looks like what do you hey i want to ask you about this um i agree with you of course <laughs> hope they hope they use it eventually Which, now you um, agree now that you're in the top 10 eh? bro i've literally never disagreed i think xp is I terrible know. um do you think that we could get to a, a a situation where um you know in these events oh by the way there was another part of that question should it be extended to road to nationals and all these other things i don't think so absolutely not i don't, really <laughs> I, I don't want be, but those are open yeah. events so yeah i don't think i don't think so um but Hayden, do you think there's a situation where we can have um, higher ELO rated players get buys and like round ones and round twos and some of these bigger events? Like I know what well, used to happen in Magic. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's... So, yeah, one of my questions, and this is a question to you as we jump more into... Um, I may not have even asked this question today, but since it's come up, what does pro play look like in 22? Like, what would you want to see for it? And one of the things is like, how do you incentivize quote-unquote because uh, i don't think there's actually there's no pro players right now right like in, in in reality like yes there's players who have won money and um who have trophies whatever but no there's no be no pro tour yet so there's no and there's no pro circuit yet but once that does start to happen and develop how do you incentivize these top players to go to callings and this was something that wizards and magic with their op had this conundrum right like how do we incentivize players of this higher echelon who we wanted our events because their names they draw you know they draw crowds uh, they make the event like a more legitimacy, I guess. And one of the things was, okay, well, we award, you know, we award buys based on rating. So on how you're standing. So, you know, there's, you effectively get to start at 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, depending on your rating. And um, that's maybe more incentive to go because you already have, you know, some percentage of chance that you don't day two removed. And then appearance fees was the other one, which I think is interesting. But yeah, I, I'm okay with that. The idea that maybe at callings players on an ELO system could get buys. I think it's too early. I think that's maybe a, a next year thing once we start to develop the, the pro tour. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah. On the, on the subject of buys, I really, my, 
Uh, one thing that I want to see is that Friday event. Um, I would like the the top uh, the top finishers in the in the big Friday event, whether it was the Team Blitz or whatever. What, what used to be called the Battle Harden to be able to get these early round buys, even if it's a round one buy or around <clears throat> round one and two buy um, in the day after for placing really well. Um, because currently there is no incentive to play those events, and the opportunity cost of you know getting to an event on Friday rather than or sorry getting to an event on Thursday rather than Friday is massive, right? Because that means you have to take up work. It's another day in a hotel, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera, and you have to find people to do it with, which is usually hard. So I think right now those events are kind of failing. Uh, maybe their intention is just to draw the casual local crowd that's there. But I think for people traveling, like it just makes no sense to play those events. I would have loved to play the Team Blitz. It's just like the EV is so overwhelmingly negative for me that I couldn't, right? Um, so I hope they really expand uh, sort of how they're running that, that Friday event. Oh, I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's what that's event for. those events are for. Uh, I just completely disagree on what those events are being. I don't think they're failing at all. I think there was hundred and something teams at the team blitz i don't think that's a failure that's a success i think like i think these events are a chance for players who may be playing the calling but uh maybe on the fringe maybe they're local players maybe they're players who want this experience to play with their team i think the the ev that you talk about for a player traveling to these events i don't think that's who it's there for i think the 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 ev so to speak is like the experience is a big part of it the ability to play in these the ability to go along and, and join in and i don't think these the calling is the calling. That's what you're going for, right? Like you're going for these events and I get the idea of adding another event that could be added EV. I think you have that with the Battle Hardened on the Sunday. So if you do poorly on day one, you still have that. Another question that's going to come up in a second I think is more interesting is how do you raise the EV of the event overall? Because currently, if you don't top eight, it's pretty poor EV, right? Um, but I think these Friday events are, are what they are. They're, a, a, you know, an opportunity to be more of a fun event, more of a casual event. And... Um, have something around this calling or these pro tours that's a bit more of a spectacle that brings players in and, and maybe they stay for the weekend so yeah i'm i'm really happy with what they're doing with these events and i i honestly i hope they don't do that because i think that becomes they become more of this like event to shark and i think that drives away people who would maybe go to play for you know for, for fun with friends etc um maybe they could do like this idea if they bring the buy system and yeah i'd like to see friday events for that but i think that should be a separate thing and um, that should be like mm. you know like last chance like qualifiers or grinders for buyers or whatever plus there's also a rating mm -hmm. system for buyers uh, i would like to see both if they're going to do that but i think the, the current way they're doing with these friday events i actually think is really good and i hope they continue that vein okay yeah i mean it's good that's a good other perspective um yeah i just for me it's like uh i just wish that i could have like i i had there was something that could have let me play that blitz event other than you know incurring the the large cost to play the casual event but maybe that's it right like maybe if i want to play the blitz event that is kind of where i need to be it's just like when we come into like these team events those are things i'm really interested in and right now they're really tough to play because i just can't get yeah. I can't get anybody to get together with me and like these sort of you know sort of alternative formats right like the team ones the ones that, which i'm particularly very interested in myself um just super bummed out for having missing it and of course it's my choice not to fly in and not to go in the day before I just wish there was a little bit more incentive for the people, you know, for the people whose real incentive is to play the calling that weekend to be able to sort of, um, you know, maybe come in for that Friday event. But I could be totally wrong there, right? Like it could be sort of short-sighted and I, um, the impact could be overall negative. I'd love to get people's thoughts on that because I think it's, we're coming at this from different angles, right? Like I think the incentive is there, but it's, and the incentive is a different, is a different thing. Like I personally, actually, and I'm going to be a bit selfish on this one. I think actively 
if I wanted to travel to events, then now giving up my Friday when I'm trying to make things, you know, like working a, a job and trying to make things work and trying to take as little leave as possible and try and reduce my cost on like hotels and things like that, having to be there on a Friday morning because I feel like I have to, to get the EV out of like grinding these buys and stuff, that actually feels worse to me personally. Um, well, but, yeah, I mean, I think that, it, you know, buys are something that are very optional EV, right? It's like you have it. I don't think they there, are. But... If, that, if that's what you want to do, your goal is to win the event. The best EV is to have buyers in the first few rounds, right? Like to have to have the, the best you can. So I, I honestly think that if that's your number one goal, then you are like, like you say, heavily incentivized. But I don't think it's necessarily positive. But anyway, that's, yeah, that's I, getting I, I can see what, Yeah, I can see that too. That, that, that does make a lot of sense. Like um, now that you say it, like. It's like, do I want incentive to be there if I'm playing the event? Yes. Do I want incentive to be there that forces me to play the event for every single calling? Probably not. So after you say it, that does make a lot of sense. Anyway, I think that's something for the future. Um, I'm cool that they're doing these different events. I, what I actually really want is I want a team calling. That would be great. Um, give us <laughs> that. that. That's next on the list. Please. <laughs> Win. <laughs> um, let's move on because we want to get through some of these questions and we're kind of running short on time. Uh, there's a few double ups and questions, so sorry if I don't get to your questions as they have already kind of been asked. Um, we talked about Living Legend and bands. Um, Zach asked a question for Brennan. You mentioned playing Prism was a bit unique as it was your first time not piloting the deck at an event. Looking back, what do you think of Prism as a competitive choice right now? And what do you think of her position in the meta leading up to Pro Tour 1? It's interesting because, like I said, um, basically on the day, most of my wins came from Starvo, right? But, you know, after watching Michael pilot that deck and sort of how it, his strategy plays into Prism, um, I think that I would need to make some changes if I was going to be on a deck like Prism. And I think a deck uh, playing Prism, I have to be a lot, a lot more lucky than a Starvo player in terms of my gen pairings because I do have some very bad matchups. Um, but yeah, playing the, not playing the deck. So you, I think in every tournament up until now, I have played the deck. I played the categorically best deck of the format, um, and there hasn't been a lot of argument that there was another best deck. Uh, so this is kind of the first time on the deck that beat that deck. Um, and yeah, that that's an interesting experience for me. Prism moving forward and looking towards the PT, it it's a tough choice for the PT because if you go to the if you go to the Pro Tour, you're you're quite a bit less likely to face like fringe decks. Which are usually bad for prison. Maybe it's a big it's a big field for PT one. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's a big field. It's also a bit less unrefined than it will be in the future, right? Because invites are given out probably differently than they will be later. So, but theoretically, right in a PT, you should be facing less of these sort of like brew decks, fringe decks. I think Prism struggles into a lot more than Starvo. Starvo just kind of rolls them. Um, but that being said, like I just I think there might be like more chain. Um, at the PT, I also think Starvo is going to adapt. So potentially Prism is not the pick. If Prism's not the pick for the PT, I mean, it's just Starvo. Like, I think you just play Starvo, you, you watch Michael Hamilton's final, you learn how to play that matchup to where you're slightly favored, and if you're not, you're flipping it 50-50, and then you're just, by a large margin, playing the best deck in the format, in my opinion. Yep, interesting to see what happens next. Uh, Zach also asked me what I thought about the coverage and is there anything I'd like to see improved? Do you know what? I thought it was awesome. Um, I got to see see my boy Brian uh, on coverage finally, which I've been waiting for for so long since we had him on time of the round and we asked him when he was going to be on. Thought him, Tannen, and Flake standing up for Craig Krimples did an amazing job. Um, I would like to see... The production value was really high. 
I would like to see a bit more focus on players, to be honest. And maybe that's more of a pro tour thing. But I know me and, me and you, Brendan, we've talked about this before. The, 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 one of the most interesting things about coverage for TCGs and um, it's like, is, the, is what's happening around there, like the players. Like, let's get some interviews with players. Let's, uh, let's get a deck tech or, or two happening. And I know that means more production value and stuff, but I hope that's something that we see in the future as the game grows and definitely something that I hope that we see at the pro tour you know let's let's follow some of these players it was cool between rounds you know they put up like standings of like where certain players were and you could follow yeah. along to know their records but i would like to see that developed even further it's the narrative right like yep. we're already sort of we're already like sort of have this like bootleg narrative anyway right and that's what a lot of coverage is driven by you look at a lot of those players that get on coverage a lot it's because usually because they have a narrative behind them um so we already follow players like tara patel right comes into the game get his crushing ninth ninth in dallas comes back top eight uses pt in the nationals event wins it and it's just like there's a great story there right so he's like a heavily talked about heavily followed player and like coverage already piggybacks off this right and it's it's honestly i think it's a lot of what gets people to tune in right because it's it's easier to empathize and connect with a play like a specific player than i think it is with a specific deck right Constructed, yeah. definitely class constructed makes that possible where you can tune in, watch your deck play, and it's really interesting to watch, you know, people who are very skilled at the game pilot that deck and you learn. But especially when we get to something that's like limited, um, like limited, I feel like limited events are really hard to watch without that sort of player narrative um, because there's not a lot, a lot of attachment to that deck, right? And people can't empathize with it. So I think yeah. coverage is already piggybacking off of it. And I, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think it's time for them to double down and do their, you know, kind of, do their side of it where it's, you know, the player interviews, the deck techs, and sort of developing the story of Flesh and Blood, right? Um, and I think that's what really draws people in to, like, to, to watch games and love coverage. Yep. Yeah, definitely agree. Like, like you say, you know, there's, there's already names there and people to follow. Um, Eric's problem is he just has to make day two, otherwise it's really hard to follow him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough for a guy like him, you know? <laughs> but no, I agree. I think the Pro Tour is the, is the place where I'd love to see that kick up a notch. I think we've got one last question before we wrap up and i think this is a good one um i honestly think we could dive into this for a long time i already alluded to it i don't want to take up too much time but it's a, it's a fantastic question from dalton here i'd love to hear you guys discuss prizes at the calling i think the top eight prizes are great but essentially if you don't top eight you lose money playing in a calling ninth place is 200 us dollars doesn't even cover a hotel room in indianapolis flying to a calling is terrible ev in, in dalton's opinion uh unless your name rhymes with you know uh Talks about Michael Hamilton and and Schmatt <laughs> Rogers. Uh, <laughs> it was his first calling uh, or their first calling, but they had a blast finishing top ten percent of the event. But felt you know a bit of a turn off getting absolutely sort of nothing for it in their eyes. Which yeah, look, it's interesting to me. I think it's um it's it's perspective, right? So it depends on where you see. So if you're going to the event and you feel that you need to top eight to uh, that be worth going to that event, that's really tough. Like to me, it's a hobby. And maybe that's different for some people in terms of their perspective. But if I'm going to an event and I need to place in a top eight in order to, you know, make it worthwhile and to not be unhappy about going to the event, um, I'm probably just not going to go to that event, to be honest, because whether I actually think I have a really good shot at top eight or not, it's um, it's not a position I want to be in. So I think that's really interesting. I do agree, though. I do think that the, the, the continued top heavy pricing is potentially an issue, although is like that in other tcgs as well and it's really hard when you're trying to run these events you know there's a lot of like costs around it and i get these entry fees and stuff that cover off a lot of that but it is really hard to i think pay down further uh for these sort of style events 
especially when they're not you know once we get past a thousand players yeah like top 32 with like significant cash prizes of maybe like a thousand dollars for instance like make it at least break even on the trip for a player traveling domestically get that i'd mm-hmm. love to see that happen i don't think we're quite there yet but i think yeah until we get there it's kind of going to be this uh this whole thing of needs to be propelled by the the love of the game sounds a bit cheesy but like the want to be there and to compete and um it's not at this point it's not a it's not a profession right like i know uh, for like you look at i know james white said this actually on the flake interview he'd love players to travel the world and, and play flesh and blood as as their you know their source of income and as something that is their their job right their full-time career um but we're we're not there yet and yeah i just uh, I think it's a tough one and i i see dalton's point and i agree i would like to see that that cash pricing come down further but i don't think i'd like to see the expense of what we're seeing for top eight right now so that's uh that's yeah. needs to come long term Oh man, there's so much to unpack there. There's I agree, I agree. I was like, this is about talking just, about just with what but... you said though. It's like there's a question of like, to you, Hayden, what makes what like when does it become a professional, right? What makes someone a professional player? Is it an amount of money? What is the money? Is it is it like X? What what X number do I have to hit to be considered professional? Do I just not have to have a job? And do I just have to play a lot of these? Right? Like it's so subjective, right? Yeah. Um, and like, it's hard to actually define it's like when, when is this a profession and when is it a hobby? And is it just like, is that just what someone else determines or is there something that we can all agree on? It's like, okay, once these kind of numbers are hit and once you're able to have this lifestyle and that's facilitated by these events, then it's a profession. But yeah, to talk about these things, like these payout. So they actually expanded this, they expanded they the did. Yeah, it used to just be top eight. Um, yeah. And I'll, like, luckily they expanded the, uh, the uh, the prize pool as well. They went from ten thousand to twenty thousand. So the thing about the pay down right now is like this, you know, and this could be like the worst thing to say in the world. And if it is, it's fine. But two hundred dollars and it's like if you don't top eight, like I don't even know if I like. It just feels so underwhelming. And everybody who kind of is in the money, or at least I know it's nice to get some money, if any. But like at the cost of significantly reducing like the top eight prizing. Um, by paying down 32 for something that's sort of nominal, like $200, like you said, it doesn't cover the flight, doesn't cover the hotel, and it's just kind of like a little prize, right? Um, if that comes at the cost of like s- drastically reducing the um, the top eight pricing, it does feel kind of weird because then when you top eight, it's like, okay, I top eighted, but I didn't actually make that much money because we expanded the um, we expanded the prize pool. Nevertheless, most of the money compensation in flesh and blood, so completely regardless of all this, doesn't come from the actual money that you win. It comes from the promotional prizes, which Hayden and I spoke about recently on the last podcast, which is a tough system because it's totally like it's kind of Ponzi. It's kind of a Ponzi, right? And it's not sustainable, most likely, right? And it requires like heavy innovation and for the market, the secondary market to stay healthy. But almost most players that are sort of grinding these and getting top eights they're making most of their money through selling those promotional cards, the gold foils, the gold tunics, things like this. Um, so right now, um, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's like, is it sustainable to make every calling like a 50K? Probably not. Do they stay at 20Ks? And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I do want to point out that the actual money that people, like the real money that people kind of make, quote unquote, from these callings, usually comes from those gold foils, right? At least that's how it is for now. Yeah, I just, last thing I'll say is um, I'm not trying to make a marker of 
what people should or shouldn't be doing um, with their time in flesh and blood. It's up to each individual. Like you say, is there an amount? No, I don't think so. I think it's really subjective and based on the individual in terms of what they want it to be. Like I say, for me, it's it's a hobby. And um, so, you know, I, I mean, I flew from Sydney to Orlando and I'll tell you what, that cost a lot more than I would have had to win the <laughs> event to, to, <laughs> to make positive on that. But for me, it wasn't about that, right? So it, yeah. it, it really depends. But yeah, I think it's a great, great point that, that Dalton brings up. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed in the long term. Um, I think for the short term, that's maybe a bit tougher and it's kind of just where Alice is working in with the structure of the growth of the game and that sort of prize pool for professional players this year. Yeah, and I do want to quickly touch on, like, just because we've talked about it in, like, very long, or, like, a long time ago on the podcast. If you are going to events like the Calling um, with the need to reach some sort of plus EV, uh, I think with the current way that these events are set up, you're kind of, you're setting yourself up for a bad time. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's something we shouldn't strive for in the future, like we shouldn't push for these to be more monetarily feasible for you know the general population but right now i think you know like like hayden said when you flew over from from uh from australia like we look at these callings as like i have to go in there and i have to top eight or it's like i'm you know in a bad situation after uh i think you're setting yourself up to have a bad time yep i agree it makes uh, it would make definitely uh, having a, a winning and loss like both of us have had in the last two callings uh not very fun but as it stands you know i think we're for us it's love but at the moment anyway yeah. This is where we are right now. Brennan want to uh we've actually run longer than we thought we would, so why don't we wrap it up? But of course, take us into I don't know, whatever you're calling this <laughs> segment. Brendan reviews. <laughs> whatever it is, an Orso Pass review. So this week we have a, a funny one here from Jorist Vel uh Verhelst. I might have butchered your name, and I apologize for that, but he Gives us five stars. Thank you, Joris. And he says, my weekly dose of dozing off during work hours. Nothing better than listening to this comedic, comedic duo of mildly accomplished flesh and blood players while resting my eyes on a Tuesday afternoon. To be honest, they're the best voices in the fab community who keep coming up with interesting topics and new perspectives, even if the medicine solves in a week or two. Well, thank you, Joris. I really appreciate that. Um, two mildly accomplished, f- accomplished fab players, you're too kind. That is much too of a... It's much too uh, glowing of a review, but we do appreciate uh, your your love for the podcast, and I'm happy that we can make those uh, those Tuesday work hours a little bit a little bit brighter. Definitely, thank you for the review. If you do want to get your review in for Brendan to read out on the pod, like Jorah said, uh, rate this podcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass. The link is down below in the YouTube video. is also available on if you, you know, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple iTunes or whatever. It's uh, it's in the, the description of the the pod as well. So. Get your review and make Brennan chuckle and uh, you might get it read out on the show. With that, Brennan, want to say, uh, you know, if you are not subscribed to the YouTube channel, go and do it. We are fast approaching 4,000 subs uh, over on YouTube. And as we, well, we're two episodes away from the big, big one year, you know, the big 52. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a couple of things cooking for episode 52, a few exciting things. You're going to finally dye your hair. I think you I promised that back in like episode five. <laughs> I might do something. I never promised anything. Let's remember that. Uh, people want to hear you going back Bond though. But anyway, we do have some exciting things coming up. Episode 52, want to get to 4K subs. Episode 52 would be great. So if you're not already subscribed, go and do so. Get ready for a couple of giveaways. Twitter. Brendan and I are on Twitter. Brendan has been doing some Twitter spaces. He did another one this week. I'm sure there'll be more Brendan Twitter spaces for your ears. I might even jump on one if you're lucky. Uh, Brendan is at Brendan APG. I am at Ian underscore Dale, like the tunic or the tome. 
Follow us for all fab-related things. Jump and engage with us. And a uh, big, massive shout-out to the patrons. Thank you for all you, you know, enable us to do your support, for being in our community Discord, engaging. And, um, yeah, just a big shout-out to, I think we're like 570-odd. So thank you to, to our amazing, our amazing Arsenal Pass family. With that said, Brendan, until next time, we'll see everyone in the next episode. See everybody.